Now, last Sunday, uh, Pastor Grant had uh, reminded us in, in, in such a powerful way of the responsibility we have as believers uh, to live together in, in uh, uh, true fellowship, and uh, uh, that, that lines up also with our motto as uh, elders and as leaders of the church, that we want to uh, keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Uh, that comes out of Ephesians chapter 4, verse uh, 3. And I find that that lines up very much with Philippians chapter uh, 2 that uh, Pastor Grant spoke about. And it also really uh, reflected in uh, what the, the Apostle John, the Apostle of Love, shares with us in his letters. Uh, it's the same John who wrote the Gospel of John. It's the same John who also wrote the book of Revelation. But the, the epistle uh, particularly expresses uh, what is on his heart for relatively new believers who are part of this uh, new phenomenon, the Church of Jesus Christ, uh, back in the days in which those words were written. Now, during the years of uh, ministry that uh, Grace and I have uh, shared, uh, we've had the privilege of, of encountering uh, uh, many, many wonderful men and women of God who have made great contributions to the kingdom. One of these men was uh, Dr. Urban Lutzer, he was a Saskatchewan farm boy who came to Winnipeg Bible College where Grace and I were students. In fact, he was a classmate of Grace's, uh, and uh, he had come from a year at uh, Briarcrest and then came to Winnipeg and then went on after that uh, to earn uh, advanced uh, uh, degrees in theology. And he became an, a prolific author, uh, a well-known and, and uh, desired a speaker in, in many, many conferences, and for many years he was uh, the senior pastor of, of the historic Moody Memorial Church in Chicago. A number of years ago, uh, Irvin uh, wrote a little booklet entitled, How on Earth Can I Be Holy? And uh, that's a good question because some of us struggle with that. How on earth can I be holy? Um, the Bible says, Be ye holy as I am holy. How can I be as holy as God? Certainly not in my own strength. And uh, he wrestles in that book with uh, the whole challenge that many of us face wanting to truly live for God while fully aware of the constant downward pull in our lives. This is not a new challenge. The Apostle John addressed this in, uh, issue in, in, in his first epistle to first century Christians uh, who truly... Uh, struggled uh, uh, with that issue, and it seems like every generation since then has struggled with how can we live a godly life by taking full advantage of all that God has provided for us. So I want to talk about some of the practical implications this morning of what it means to live a consistent Christian life in the face of our natural tendency to sin, uh, a lifelong process which is also often described as walking in the light or as walking as Jesus did. And uh, as we start with that, let's begin with an understanding, a better understanding of, um, of God uh, as it is expressed in terms of uh, some opposites or contrasts in this uh, first part of First uh, uh, John chapter 1, verse 5, because the biblical message of light in verse 5, is that this is the message we have heard from him and declared to you. God is light, and in him there is 
And you can insert the word absolutely no darkness at all. So the positive truth about God is that he is light. Uh, Thomas uh, Johnson uh, in the NIV biblical commentary suggests that this is both a theological and a moral statement um, because it describes the essential moral nature of God as well as his character in relationship to humanity. So if, if we feel we fall short, it's because he is so totally other. He is so uh, bathed in light and reflecting the light that we simply cannot even begin to reach anywhere near that. It emphasizes his character as good and pure and holy, and the notion of light here implies integrity, truthfulness, authenticity, all of the things that, that really uh, set apart God from, from all creation. Creation is only what he brought into being. God has been forever and ever and ever. There is no beginning, no end. He lives in the eternal now. And God has uh, manifested the power of light, the penetrating of darkness, uh, and, and the fact that it dispels darkness in the person of Jesus Christ, his son, Jesus, who is also called the light of the world. So the author here asserts that what we have in Jesus, what we have in the word, uh, is the same message that the early disciples heard from Jesus as they travel around Galilee and he would be teaching and preaching, uh, healing the sick and doing his ministry. And uh, that's the same message, he says, we heard from him and it is now being proclaimed to those who follow Jesus. So what you have here is uh, John plugs in. He, he, he was one of those disciples. He understands what Jesus said and he says, we're now passing it on to you. So that is the one element of the positive truth concerning God and the contrasting notion about that is that because he is light, light uh, in, its very, in his very nature, uh, there's absolutely no darkness, no shade of darkness in him. Uh, that is a very strong affirmation and if, if uh, it is meant to refute what some false teachers were beginning to proclaim. And as uh, in my prayer I indicated so often, it begins with a thought life, with a question. It's almost the same question that Satan asked way back in the Garden of Eden. Yea, hath God said. Are you really sure God meant that? And so we begin to second guess the word of God. We begin to question how, how could a good God put restrictions on us? How, how come there's all these laws and these rules uh, within the Christian context, within the biblical context? And so John says, in God's character, there's absolutely no hint of darkness. Uh, and darkness, of course, stands for evil and sin and impurity. And it implies deceit and falsehood, wrong thinking and wrong acting. By his very nature, God not only is, but he must be good at all times. There's no option for God to be anything else 
because the moment he would be other than good, he would no longer be God. That was the same thing with Jesus. The question that people often ask when Jesus walked upon the face of the earth, why do they make such a big deal that he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin? Because he, if he had ever sinned in thought, word, or deed, only once he would no longer have been qualified to be the supreme sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. If Jesus had only once sinned against his father, you and I would be hopelessly lost in sin for time and eternity. That's a sobering thought. But it's the contrast between light and darkness. Now, in order to express that, John uses a, a, a very typical Hebrew uh, methodology of what we call parallelism. Uh, and he has three sets, uh, three pairs of ifs. Interestingly, last, last week we talked about ifs as well, but we talked about ifs that could be replaced with the word since because it was assumed to be right to begin with. Okay, These here are ifs which are uh, causal uh, in nature, they are conditional in nature, and they follow with consequences. And so... And help us to, to better understand the, the issue here. Uh, I also want to note that when John talks about this, he is being very kind because those who are the, the opposing force, the people who are false teachers, the people who perhaps at one point were part of the church, but they have left the church, but they keep revisiting individuals and, and, and congregations and households, uh, in order to spread their doubt and their questions and their wrong thinking. Um, but he actually includes not only them, but also the members of the body of Christ, of the local church, when he says, if we claim. He could say, if they claim and point to them and then ostracize them in the process. But rather, he says, if we claim. Uh, which may indicate that they are actually, these false teachers are former members and perhaps still friends, uh, but people who have, by attitude and action and teaching, separated themselves from the primary body of believers. So there's three sets of these. The first one is the issue of dishonesty versus truthfulness. So in verses 6 and 7, he says, if we claim, here's the first if, that we have fellowship with him, and yet we walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies or cleanses us from all sins. The issue is dishonesty versus truthfulness. It is, is dishonest, he says, the first claim is that these people claim that that they have fellowship with God, and yet clearly they are not walking with and fellowshipping with the body of Christ uh, represented by the congregation of believers. So they say, we have fellowship with God, but we don't need you. You don't have to bother with us. Why? Because they're lying, they're not living by the truth, he says, because to fellowship means to live in communion with 
and to be in right relationship with someone. And if we claim to do that with God, the Father, then we should also be in right relationship with the body of Christ here on earth. Now, we're recognizing that over the history of time, churches have, in many cases, drifted from the original doctrines. And so you don't necessarily want to be in fellowship with every congregation that has the name Christ in it or has a cross at the front. Because there are many churches today in our modern day and age that preach everything but the gospel. Grace and I just had a conversation with one of our neighbors uh, yesterday uh, over a cup of tea. And uh, she attends a church that is very liberal-minded and so on. And in that church, they teach all kinds of social issues and all kinds of, you know, how to live in this world, but, but very little uh, reference ever, and certainly never any emphasis on the gospel, on the fact that you need to be born again, that, that, that you need to have a right relationship with God. So people like that and these false teachers, at least one group of them, uh, fell into this category. So you, you do want to distance yourself from that, but the true body of Christ, which is based on the word of God, which, which uses scripture as a guideline, which allows the Holy Spirit to dictate and to control what they do, um, that kind of church is a place where you can grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And by mutual encouragement, we can move forward together in our understanding of God and his truth and how to live our Christian life. So these false teachers uh, are not sharing in uh, peaceful group life, fellowship uh, with one another within the body of Christ. Now, when, when the Apostle Paul, uh, John, wrote uh, these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the norm for the church was that new believers were, as soon as possible, uh, baptized and joined the local congregation. Usually, it happened immediately, and we can check out what happened, for instance, on the day of Pentecost, which was the birthing of the church, and that came the pattern of the early church, and, and for many, many uh, decades, uh, almost into the first century, when people became true believers by putting their faith and trust in Jesus, uh, they almost immediately joined the, the, the local church and were nurtured and discipled and grew and then began, began to be active within that body. Um, we can go to the book of Acts chapter 2 for that uh, beginning stage of the birthing because that was the condition under which John still wrote, although that was already several decades later. And there you have that famous sermon of Peter on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, where he gives a history of what has happened and how the change from Judaism to Christianity was developed. And, and, and he, in, in verse 36, he says, Therefore let all Israel, because he's mostly addressing Israelite people, either locals uh, on the day of Pentecost or those who were Israelites but lived at a distance and had come for the for the feast of Pentecost and were present when the outpouring of the Holy Spirit occurred, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, 
both Lord and Christ. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart or pierced to the heart. And they said to Peter and to the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? There was a sense of guilt, collective guilt, individual guilt about the death of Jesus and the fact that somehow they had uh, reached out against and, 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 and voted against uh, the Messiah that had been promised. And so Peter's answer is very clear. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, so that your sins may be forgiven. The idea of being repenting means turn your back on what you've been doing, turn around, turn to God. Uh, this morning in one of our songs, we said, turn us back to you. Let, let our uh, prayers become a revival. Turn us back to you, Lord. And that should be the heart cry of every believer in the century in which we live, in the age in which we are. And then uh, when, when those who heard uh, Peter's message and his response, repent and be baptized to you, it says here uh, that those who accepted his message, verse 41, were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So they heard the message, they responded, they accepted, and they were baptized. That must have been a massive, massive event. Baptized, and they were added to the church. Now, some of them were not added to the church in Jerusalem because after the celebrations, they would go back to their homeland, and they would take the gospel with them, and they would establish churches there. And so that spread from that moment on throughout the empire. And uh, the next few verses here in the book of Acts tell us what they did once they were added to the body of Christ. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. And then... Go on in verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with gladness and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily. Every day there were new converts that were being added by hearing the word, by responding to the truth, and by embracing the truth together. So that, that was the condition of the early church. That was the norm. Don't you think that somehow uh, we have missed the boat in our modern version of Christianity where so often what we find here is that people make a decision for Christ, maybe in a crusade, maybe uh, through reading a gospel tract or through personal witness or whatever. And then sometimes it takes them years to ever respond in obedience to the clear teaching of Jesus. Jesus go into all the world, he says, preach the gospel, reach all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, and teach them to do whatever I have commanded you. So to be a Christian means that you are a person under orders. To be a Christian means there's a responsibility to live out the commitment that we have. It's not a question of, is it convenient? Do I like it or not? 
No, if I claim to be a Christian, contrasting that with these false teachers who had other thoughts, we need to clearly understand that the truth means me, means you. And the question that we need to ask, and I want to say this very kindly, you know, if you consider this to be your home church, are you really connected? What plans do you have? We're, we're an open community in, in the sense that everyone is welcome, and we're glad for all the visitors here this morning. We're glad for those of you and happy that many of you come, and you, even if you're not members, some of you are more involved than, than uh, perhaps uh, uh, normally people would be if they're not really part of the internal fellowship of the body. But to be part of the church means more than attending Sunday morning. To be part of the body of Jesus Christ means to have fellowship with God the Father, with the Holy Spirit, with Jesus, and with a community of believers. And there is a positive way of considering that. So let me encourage you, if, 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 you're not, if you haven't reached that point, um, explore our membership class, Hawkwood 101, will be starting one on November the 7th. And, and we emphasize at that point, what are the uh, considerations, what are the things that we need to be doing in order to be a regular part of the body of Christ? So let's get back to our text here because he's talking about if we walk in the light, uh, as he, Christ, is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies and cleanses us from all sin, verse 7, and uh, literally... That should be translated, if we keep on walking, because it's in the present continuous tense in the Greek language. And, and so it's an ongoing process. It's, uh, Brother Lawrence would have probably said it means practicing the presence of God who is the light. And so the difference between untruthfulness and truthfulness is if we walk in the light, uh, there, there are two important consequences. Number one, we have fellowship with the faith community, with one another. And the second is, if we're walking in the light, there is also spiritual cleansing. In fact, for many, many years, one of my favorite verses was 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to, to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I clearly understood that when it says, if we confess our sins, that's in the plural, which means the specific sins that I'm aware of, that I know of. And if I confess those, his faithfulness, his righteousness supersedes just forgiving that because he also cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And that takes in the stuff I don't even remember or the things I did or thought uh, that I was not even aware of. And all of that is included in the package deal. If you are a true believer, if Christ is in your life, if the Holy Spirit is guiding you. And so uh, this is what he is saying here, that we have this ongoing purification. And just as if we walk in the light means if we keep on walking, present continuous tense, the same thing is true uh, in the next part of that, that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us. Again, that should be translated, keeps on cleansing us. It is present continuous tense. 
It's ongoing action. Did you, because you know, folks, I've been a believer for well more over 60 years now. But there's still sin in my life. There are still things I struggle with. There are still times when I think something or I say something or I act in a certain way. And then the Holy Spirit puts his finger on my heart and says, Sig, that was wrong. You shouldn't think that way. What I have learned to do is when that happens, I try to immediately say, yes, Lord, you're right. I'm wrong. Please forgive me. Now, if my sin was only in my heart and in my mind and did not affect anybody else, then all I need to do is agree with God and allow him to, to cleanse it away. But if my sin was against another person or a group of people, then after I made things right with God, I may have to go back to those people and say, you know what? The other day when I said what I said, I was wrong. Please forgive me. In fact, you can preface it by saying, I ask God to forgive me and I'm assured of his forgiveness on the basis of his word. Now I'm asking you, would you forgive me? And if it was a public sin that affected the whole body of Christ, I may have to go back to the church and stand up and say, folks, please forgive me for what I said or did or how I acted the other day. I've asked God's forgiveness, and I've asked that person's forgiveness. But since all of you were affected by it, please forgive me. That's a hard discipline to go through. Well, the second if clause uh, pair deals with self-deception and transparency. We can walk through that very quickly. Verses 8 and 9, he says, if we claim to be without sin, apparently there were some people at that point who felt that they ha had reached sinless perfection, so they really didn't need Jesus to forgive their sin because they were already accomplished. They were accomplished saints. And no more sinful thoughts or tendencies whatsoever. But he says, if we, if we claim that, literally saying we do not have sin in our lives, he is saying, when we say that, that is not truthful. The truth is not in us. But, he says, on the contrary point, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and he forgives us our sins. That is the provision that God has made through Jesus. That is being truly transparent. It means that we're uh, acknowledging the faithfulness, the righteousness, the justice of God. Again, this morning we sang about let justice roll like a river. And justice is not only what happens out there. It's what happens here in your heart, uh, in your thought life, in your uh, interaction one with another. And so he says if we do that in transparency, he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. The next pair of issues here are denial versus a trust relationship. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. God says we're sinners, and if we say we don't have sin, then we're actually saying God is wrong. God doesn't know what he's talking about. The word of God is not to be trusted. That's what we're saying. And so you make him a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. It's not in us. But... If anybody does sin, he says, 
uh, we have one who speaks to the Father, an advocate, a, a, a heavenly lawyer, if you wish, who speaks in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. That's verses 10 of chapter 1 and also the first verse in chapter 2. So denial means we go beyond the pale and we say we are absolutely sinlessly perfect. However, a trust relationship is based on acknowledging the truth. And this is why John ends up this whole part by saying, my little children, I'm writing to you these things so that you may not sin. His desire is that we would become more and more in harmony, in line with God's will for our lives. That means that we will not willfully sin, that we will not intentionally do something that would offend God or our brothers and sisters within the body of Christ or be an obstacle to the faith of those who have not yet found faith in Jesus Christ. Those are all reasons why we ought to abstain from certain practices that the world thinks is okay, but God's word clearly says is not okay. So our standard needs to be the word of God, not the mores of society around us. And that's, that's a powerful thought for us to process because it means that we will always be called to be totally different, counter-cultural in whatever times we live. That was true of the early Christians, that is true today, and it was certainly true throughout the history of Christianity. So in that trust relationship, uh, he is saying that not only uh, is it meant so that we would not sin, but in fact, he himself, Christ, has become the atoning sacrifice. The word that was used in scripture was propitiation. It's not a very common word in our normal everyday language, but it's a theological term, which means that not only did he offer the sacrifice, but he himself was the atoning sacrifice that covered, in fact, not only covered, but it expunged our sin. This last week in our Bible study in the morning, we were dealing with the book of Hebrews, and we were discussing that very question, how, how can I be sure that my sins are forgiven, and how is the new system under Christ different from the old system of sacrificial offerings? Here's the difference. He made a sacrifice of himself once for all, once for all time, and once for all people who would embrace it and be saved. So, we've reached the point of so what? With all of these different issues, and some of us may struggle with some of those, uh, how do I reconcile what's happening here with what I understand the Word of God to tell me? Well, the good news is that there is a way out of the sin problem. God made provision for our sin in His Son, Jesus Christ, the righteousness. The Holy Son of God became the solution to our problems. And so he says, he, Jesus, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So the good news of, of uh, the story is we have redemption available, forgiveness, salvation is available just for the asking. Uh, it would be foolish for us to pretend that we have no sin in our lives and thereby deny what God provided. 
You know, if, if we were not sinners, Jesus wouldn't have had to die. Why would he leave heaven's glory in order to die on a cross, live a frugal life of austerity, teach people along the way, and then ultimately end up being the very picture of a cursed death? The most despicable death under the Roman Empire was crucifixion. That's what Jesus suffered for our sake. He wouldn't have had to do that. So how do we plug into that? How do we take advantage of it? Very, very quickly. Number one, we need to admit our need. We need to say, I'm a sinner in need of God's help. It's as simple as ABC. Admit. Second one is believe that Jesus died for us on the cross and that he rose again from the grave because whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son of God will not see life. For God's wrath, justified wrath, remains on that person. The third part is confess that your, your sins to God. Let him know your heart. Let him know that you are repentant. Let him know that, that you're sorry for having acted and lived uh, apart from his fellowship and input. Because scripture tells us that if we do that, he is faithful and just to forgive us. We've already looked at that verse. And finally, invite Jesus to come into your heart, to forgive your sins, to control your life through his Holy Spirit, to make you all that you possibly can be. Uh, because 1 John 1.12 tells us, yet to all, uh, Gospel of John 1.12, that all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God.